The following audio is from Two Pillars Church, a gospel-centered, missionally-focused church located in Lincoln, Nebraska. More information about Two Pillars Church can be found at www.twopillarschurch.com. Good morning. Uh, If we haven't met, my name is Brad, Brad Thomas. Uh, I'm a member here at Two Pillars Church, and um, it's so glad to to see you. I'm so glad to see you this morning and uh, to be able to worship with you and... um, you know, as, as I was thinking through um, an illustration to, to bring us into the text here this morning, I, I was hard-pressed to think of a better illustration than an illustration that Jesus uses. Um, as we're talking about enjoying God, an illustration that Jesus uses is his, his relationship that he has with God. So we can consider all different types of, of human relationships as we... Um, think about enjoying God, parent to child, right? Friend to friend. There's all different types of analogies that God's given us to, to understand our relationship with Him. But all these relationships, right? They're they're all pointers to our relationship with God. But they're all just they're all analogies. They all they're true as far as they go, but they don't give an exhaustive um, picture of of what our relationship with God is like, right? We don't we don't learn about our fathers and our brothers and our sisters, and then just take that back and, and understand who God is from that without help from God. But instead, God, God has shown us who he is in the Father, in the Son, in the Holy Spirit, in the, in the Trinity, in the love that they share. In this relationship, there's communion, there's mutual and personal giving of person to person. The Father loves the Son, the Father loves Jesus, and Jesus then loves the Father. This is the illustration, this is the basis that, that Jesus gives for our relationship with God. He says that as the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. The Father, he says, loves him. The Father loves him in perfect joy and communion. And so, in, in a light, in like way, Jesus loves us. He calls us to abide in that love. He says we abide in that love by keeping his commands, by loving him, by loving our neighbor, by resting in his word. He's told us these things so that our joy will be full, he says. So we're going through a series on joy. That's what, that's what we've been talking about the last few weeks. We fight for joy. We seek for joy in life in suffering, in worship. We're focused on this morning is communion with God and our fight for joy, our relationship with God and our fight for joy. Communion with God is essential for our fight for joy. That's, that's the main point this morning. If you take away anything from that, take away that communion with God is essential to our fight for joy. And, and as we, to help us get to that point, we'll talk about what communion with God is, we'll talk about what communion with God is not, and finally we'll talk about why communion with God is essential to our fight for joy. So to, to start off, it, it'll be helpful for us to, to ponder that question, to get at that question, what is communion with God? What's it made up of? What's our relationship with God? What does it consist of? What's it, what's it all about? And I, I think that, that John Owen helpfully describes communion with God as, as God giving himself to us and us giving ourselves to him. 
We give ourselves and all that he requires to him. And and then this communion, it, it flows from the union that we have with God in Jesus Christ. We're united with Christ. And that's where we receive God in himself. He gives himself to us in Christ. And so we give ourselves to him. That's our communion with God. And that all flows from our union that we have with Jesus. So first off, right, God's, he's, he's given himself for us. He continues to give himself to us. The Father, he's given himself to us in sending his son, in, in giving, him, giving his son to us. He's shown his love for us. He sent Jesus into the world because he loves us. And, and Jesus, he's given himself to us in, in coming into the world for us, in, in living for us, in dying for us, in, in being raised for us. Jesus has given himself for us. He gives himself for us even now in heaven, interceding for us, ruling and reigning. He sends the Spirit. The Spirit gives himself to us as he lives in us, as he works in us. He affects us. He changes us. He helps us. So God gives himself to us. And secondly, we give ourselves to God in response. And God accepts that in Christ. He calls, us to, he calls us to faith, to love, to hope, to joy. He calls us to worship, all centered in him and in response to him. God gives himself to you. God desires for you to give yourself to him. He accepts you in Jesus. And that's a, that's a privilege, right? That's an honor for us. It's our joy to know that, that God gives himself to us and he desires for us to give ourselves to him. And that's where we have communion with God. We have communion with God and God giving himself to us and our giving ourselves to him. We see that in Psalm 16 in sort of a case study form. We get, we get to, in a sense, step behind the curtain, to see David in a real relationship with God, in in David really receiving from the Lord and giving of himself back to him. And as we look at at verses 1 through 3, there's some observations that we can make here. Um, We can see four different things that David does here as he has received from God. He does four different things. He asks, he trusts, he confesses or professes his faith then, and he delights. You can see here in verse 1, David says, preserve me, O God. He asks God to preserve him. He sensed his need for God to preserve him, and he asked him to meet that need. He asked him to fulfill that need. God had put that need into David's life, and he asked him. He brought that need before him. It's a genuine act of faith that David is partaking in there. He's trusting God. He takes refuge in God in the middle of his need. He's not trusting in something else to meet that need, but he sees that he needs to be preserved, and he's, he's taking refuge in the Lord, he says. He confesses, or he professes his faith then. In the middle of David's need, he says to Yahweh, the one true God, he says, you are my Lord, In the middle of my need, all good that I have is from you. 
He can speak that to the Lord confidently. He says that to him. And then he delights. He delights in God's people. He calls them saints. He calls them excellent. And he delights in them. He sees God's people by faith for who they are, and he delights in them. And, and as we're getting an inside look into David's relationship with Lord here, the Lord here, it's, it's good for us to ask what, what types of encouragements, what, what type of challenges maybe do we see in ourselves as, as we're going through these verses? Right? Does, does our life with God look like this? Do you see your need for God? Do you feel and sense your need for God? Do you feel and sense, do you know God gives himself to you? Do you trust him to provide for you in your need? Right? How are you, are you talking to God about this? Are you praying to him? Are you meeting with him as he calls you to himself? Right? And if, if we sense a tension, if we sense a challenge, it's, it's not meant to drive us away. Right? That's, that's not what it's about. It's instead, we're, we're to see David's example and, and we're to, to strive to follow after that with hope, with hope in, in God's grace. That's what we're hoping in. It's God's grace that initiates this. It's God who awakens us to see our need in the first place before him. Friends, we, we, don't, we don't want to be tricked. We, we can't be tricked. We, we, let's not be tricked into thinking that God won't accept us unless we do this perfectly. That's, that's not what this is about. Right, let's, let's not be tricked into to comparing ourselves to, to one another in how well we're doing in this. That, that's not what it's about. It's not a comparison game. It's, it's not self-righteousness. It's not works righteousness. And, and it's not that. We know that it's not that because even when we fall short, when we, when we look at this and we're challenged and we say, my life isn't, isn't matching up with that right now, or I'm struggling in this certain area, repentance is an opportunity for communion with God then. It's the correction that we would receive. It's, it's an opportunity for us to draw near to God as he has drawn near to us. It's an opportunity for us to experience God as the one who strengthens us. It's, a, it's an opportunity to experience God's forgiveness and to experience how God really does accept us freely, that he really does accept us even when we fall short. That's where he accepts us in Christ. That is, that is communion with God. Repentance and growing and, and experiencing God's grace is communion with God. And maybe you read this, maybe you read this and you, you say, I, I am, I do sense God's need in my life. I'm bringing those things before him. I, I want to praise the Lord. I, I delight in God's people. Maybe you see that and that's an encouragement. That's great. Like that you can, you can rejoice that God is, is, has given you that hope, that he, he's working in you in that way. And just continue to grow in his grace. Continue to, to grow in, in, in joyful communion with him and just continue to depend on him. Right? That, too, that too is an opportunity for praise. We don't, we don't need to downplay when, when God has given us that hope. But it's, it's not an opportunity for pride or, or looking down on other people, but it's an opportunity um, for praise. Because right? everything is an opportunity to relate and, and to, to have fellowship and to commune with God. Everything in our life. And everything is that way because we're always dependent on God. No matter where we're at, as human beings, that's just how we're made. We're always dependent. And, and the thing is, we can always depend on him. He's always trustworthy. He's always the one who will provide for us. So we can, 
in every circumstance, we can unashamedly rejoice in our fellowship with God. Any circumstance, we can unashamedly rejoice. So we have our communion with God, to summarize that a little bit. We have our communion with God and in God giving himself to us and our giving of ourselves to him. That's, that's what communion with God is. As, as God gives himself to us, he invites us, he calls us to give ourselves to him. That's our relationship with God. It begins with him and he, he works that in us. Um, so as, as we get a taste of, of what communion with God is, it's helpful then to get a grasp of what communion with God isn't. And, and David helps us see that in verse 4 as we continue. It's a perfect example that David gives. He says that the, the alternative to fellowship with God is running after other gods. He says that the alternative is idolatry. I think that the New City Catechism gives a, a helpful and simple definition of idolatry. It says idolatry is trusting in created things rather than the creator for our happiness and hope, our significance and security. David talks about running after other gods, trusting in created things rather than the creator, trusting in created things rather than the creator for what ultimately God only can provide. That, that is idolatry. Right? David talks about running after other gods. It, it, causes, it brings a multiplication of sorrows. Right? It's, it's one thing to have sorrows. We, we all have sorrows. Right? That's, just some, that's all, something we all experience. We're all acquainted with heartache. We all know loss. That's, that's just part of being a human. But, but the, and the joy that, that we're fighting for, it doesn't deny our sorrows. It doesn't deny our pain. But the, but the joy that we're fighting for truly is only found in communion with God. It's only found in God giving himself to us and, and our return to him. It's, it's not found in seeking for joy, in seeking for pleasure or security, in anything else, in, in alcohol, in, in pleasure, money, control, approval or, or respect from other people. Right, this, is what, this is what David is, he's, he's contrasting communion with God with, with chasing after other gods. And there's, there's a multiplication of sorrows, he says, in that. The, the sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply, he says. So the first thing that we can take away from this is that, that our fight for joy in communion with God is with the one true creator God, and only him. Our fight for communion with God is, is not with, our communion with God is not with any other God than the God and Father of Jesus Christ. David goes on then, he continues in, in verse four as we move along. He goes on and he says two different things here. He says, there drink offerings of blood I will not pour out. And he says, I will not take their names on my lips. David here, he's refusing to make offerings to false gods. He's refusing to swear by false gods, to take their names on his list, to call upon them. 
Right? But, but we see that David, he, he, did, he stumbled in his life. We see, lot, we see examples of that in the scriptures. The scriptures are not shy about the fact that David stumbled in his life. So, so how can he make a, such an emphatic claim like that might be? Can, do, do we feel like we can make an emphatic claim like that? How can people who are, who are so prone to sin, so prone to idolatry like us, how can we make an emphatic claim like that? Can we confidently say that? I will not go after other gods. We can do that because the righteousness that we seek in Christ, the righteousness that we have in Christ is not self-righteousness. We rest in Jesus's righteousness. This righteousness comes by faith. Self-righteousness and the righteousness of Christ are different. And, and, and from the righteousness that we have in Christ, are we, we seek to obey the Lord by faith. Faith-fueled obedience and self-righteousness are, are not the same thing. That's how David can say this. He, he's not making a self-sufficient statement. He's not being proud and looking down on everybody else who commits idolatry and saying, like, all you people, I, I don't commit idolatry, but all you people commit idolatry. Like that, that's, he's not being proud in what he's saying when he says this. He, he, he shows us that he's not being proud and when he's saying this because if, if, if we look over at Psalm 51 briefly, very briefly in, in Psalm 51, two verses in particular, um, verses 12 and 13. David wrote Psalm 51 after he had sinned, he had been confronted about it. It's a prayer of David where he's, he's broken, he's walking in repentance. He comes to the Lord and he says, Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. So we see here that David's, David's response to God, to God confronting his sin, to him, to him sinning, to him, in a sense, running after another God, David's response to this is he exercises his faith. He, he knows the joy of the Lord's salvation, and he recognizes how he's received from the Lord. He's, he puts his faith into action as he, he trusts that the Lord will restore the joy of salvation to him. He trusts that the Lord will uphold him, he says, in verse 12, with a willing spirit. So then David can teach others with bold humility. He can teach others from a place of joy because of what God has done for him not because he's proud in, in how he's kept himself clean from idolatry. He's able to express that back to the Lord. I will not go after other gods. He's able to say that with a clean conscience, boldly before God. I will not serve them. This is a question for us. Can, can we say that before the Lord? Do we have that confidence? Let's seek that confidence in Christ, not because of self-sufficiency. The second thing that we can say about our fight for joy in communion with God is that it's not self-sufficiency. That's not what it is. But we can be bold in going after the Lord. We can be bold in desiring to not seek after other gods. We don't need to, to shy away from that. 
We don't need to be shy about declaring that and speaking boldly about that. Right? And lastly here, why, why communion with God is essential for our joy? First off, communion with God, it's essential for our joy because it's God's plan for us. God has planned for us to fight for our joy in communion with him. It's God who works in us. He works in us to will and to work his good pleasure. He works in us. He is giving himself to us. The Lord gives himself to us. Paul says in Philippians 2, it's God who works in us. And so from that, we're called to work out our salvation. He gives himself to us, and so we give ourselves to him, is what Paul's calling us to. Right? We fight for joy now because it's God's plan for us. It's the end that he has for us. God's plan for us, he's predestined us to joy with communion in heaven, with him. The fullness of God's joy the fullness of joy in God's presence, it's tied to the future. Right? God has made known the path of life to us now in Christ. It's, it's like we're seeing a foreshadow, in a sense, of, of the life and communion that we'll have with God in heaven. We get to experience that now. But it, it's, it's more than a foreshadow. Because we're actually, we actually, in communion with God, as God gives himself to us, and we give ourselves to him, we're experiencing the first fruits of, of, of what that life will be like in heaven and God's plan for us, where he's bringing us. He's begun that work in us. And so it's, it's worth fighting for. Joy is worth fighting for in communion with God now because it's, it's where God's gonna bring us in the future. We can be sure of that. It's why God has started this work in you, Christian. It's because he's going to complete it. It's, it's what we're all made for. Right? There's There's a million different competing visions about what the good life is for people, right? There's a hundred million different visions about what the purpose of life is for people. Some of them are subtle. Some of them are not so subtle. There are so many things that we in the flesh long for. So many things that we would fill in our purpose of life for, but apart from God, Apart from Christ, no one has true communion with God. No one has this true joy because, because we're sinful by nature. We're, we're separated by God by nature. But, but in Christ, in Christ, joyful fellowship is where God has brought us now. Joyful fellowship is where God will bring us. He's begun that good work. And so we, we fight because we have assurance that we will arrive there in heaven. We have assurance that he's be, begun that good work. We have assurance because Christ has risen. We have assurance because we've tasted of that life now. We've experienced that as Christians in different times in your life. Your, your communion with God might ebb and flow, right? You've, you've had experiences of joy. You've had experiences of maybe you're not walking as, as closely with the Lord different times in your life. You know that, but you have, you've tasted of the heavenly reality. That, that is what God has planned for us in heaven. He's, he's bringing us to that place. So we continue to receive from him. We continue to give ourselves to him in that. We continue to fight for joy in that because it's, it's where he's going to bring us. 
And, and if, you're not, if you're not a Christian, this is an, it's an offer. It's an offer that, that this joy can be yours in Christ. And, and it's a clarification, too. It's an offer on the one hand, but it's a clarification that it's only found in Christ. It's only found in, in right relationship with God, which, which we can't earn. We can't merit that. We can't earn it. It's a path that, that we walk on now by faith in Christ. Right? Jesus said that it's a hard path. Right? We know that it's a hard path. We've experienced that. It's a narrow gate, Jesus says. He says not many will find it. Right? We, all have, we all have people who we long to join us on that path of we're Christians. We've tasted of God's goodness. We know God's goodness. We know joy in God's presence. We know that there are pleasures at God's right hand forevermore. We all know people who we desire to come on that path with us. We all know people who have, who have turned from that path, right? So it's a path that we, we strive. We strive to, to fight, to continue to walk on now until we reach the end because that's God's plan for us. It's God's plan for us to give himself to us and for us to give ourselves back to him, right? And, and as we do that, right, we're, we're putting our hope in God the entire way. That's part of walking in the path. It's, we're putting our hope in God for endurance, right? Endurance is needed. We truly do need endurance. We're not trusting in ourselves for endurance. We're not trusting in ourselves to perfectly or ultimately get ourselves to heaven. That's, that's not what we're doing, but it is a path that we walk on. And that is communion with God. We, we give, we receive from God, and we give ourselves to him. We're not living for ourselves, but, but we're living for the one who has given himself for us. Finally, communion with God, it's essential to our fight for joy because it's why Jesus gave himself for us. So we really do believe that Jesus gave himself for us. We really do believe that Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Believe that he was, that he was crucified, that he died, that Jesus was buried. This is him giving himself for you, Christian, that he, on the third day, was raised again to new life. He ascended to heaven. He's seated at God's right hand in power now. That he's going to come back and he's going to judge the living and the dead. There will be a resurrection of, of all on the last day. We believe that. So it's Jesus giving himself to us. We believe that, that Jesus is going to raise all who look to him to eternal life, all who trust in him, right? So there's, there's, a, there's a looking back at, at what Jesus has accomplished for us in his death, in his burial, in his resurrection. We look back, we receive that by faith. We rest in that by faith. And there's a looking forward. There's a looking forward to what is yet to come. We haven't yet been perfected. We haven't yet been resurrected, like the Spirit really is working in us as Christians. Right? There's real, genuine work that the Spirit has begun in us as Christians. 
Right? And we can be assured that that will continue in us in Christ. Right? But, but we haven't already obtained this, Paul says. We haven't already been perfected, he says. This is what he says in, in, in Philippians 3. He says that, that we are not yet perfect, but we press on to make it our own, he says, because, because Jesus has made us his own. Jesus has, he's made us his own. We belong to Christ, and so we live for him. This is how David puts it. David says the exact same thing in, in different words in Psalm 16, in verses 5 and 6. He says, God is his chosen portion. The Lord belongs to David, and David belongs to the Lord. He is his portion. He's what he has in life. He says that God holds his lot. He talks about the pleasantness of where the boundaries of his life have fallen, where the, the pleasantness of, of the lines in his life, where they have fallen. He talks about the beauty of his inheritance. Right? This, David rejoices in hope as he looked forward. So interestingly, Peter, actually in, in, his, in his sermon at Pentecost, quotes this psalm. He actually quotes David. He tells us that David laid hold of the promise. He's talking about verses, verses 9 and 10. He's talking about verse 10 in particular, but he says, David laid hold of the promise that God would establish his offspring forever. He laid hold of the promise that God would build his throne for all generations. And he says that's why David's heart was glad. David looked forward. He saw that God would not abandon him to death. He saw that he would not abandon his soul. He would not let his Holy One see corruption. That's why his tongue rejoiced. That's why his flesh dwelt secure, he says in verses 7 and 8. His heart instructed him in the night as he meditated on these things, as he rested in these truths. He set the Lord it's a picture, right? He set the Lord always before him, meditating and, and thinking on these things. As, as God has given himself to him in these promises, he, he gave himself to the Lord. He set the Lord always before him. Right? And God, God directed his, his hope in these things. It wasn't because he did them perfectly. It wasn't because of this strength that David just built up in himself. It's, it's not self-sufficiency, Right? But he, he's depending on God to direct him. Right? And, and he, says, he says in verses 9 and 10 that the Lord helped him. And, and he wasn't shaken. He wasn't shaken, as Peter said, because he saw that God wouldn't abandon his king. He had made this promise. He saw that God would not abandon his anointed one. He wouldn't abandon the Christ. He wouldn't abandon the Messiah, is what he said. He would not let his Holy One see corruption. That's what David looked forward. And he saw that God would not allow a descendant to be removed from his throne. And he, he, he dwelt securely in that. He looked ahead to the resurrection and his flesh 
was able, his body was able to dwell secure because of that. And that's the confession that we, the, the profession of faith that we see from Peter in Acts 2, 32, as he continues in his sermon on Pentecost, that, that this Jesus, God raised up from the dead, of which we're all witnesses. This Jesus, he is the resurrection and the life. He's the way, the truth, and the life. He's the consummation of our fellowship with God. He is the power that we walk along the path of life in. Jesus is the path of life. It's in Jesus' presence that there's fullness of joy. It's at Jesus' right hand that there are pleasures forevermore. And that's why we, we continue to fight for joy in this life now. And we continue on in that. It's because we know Christ. We're compelled by the love of Christ. Jesus has given himself to us. And we're compelled by that joy that was set before Jesus as we look to him. We press on to make this joy our own because Jesus has made us his own. We belong to him, so we give ourselves to him actively. Right? As, as we wrap up here, remember that, that our communion with God is essential to our fight for joy. Right? The, the Father has loved Jesus. The Father loves Jesus. Imagine, just think about what the Father's love is like for Jesus. And in, in like manner, Jesus loves us. That's how Jesus loves us. Jesus loves us like God loves him. He's told us these things, he said, so that our joy would be full. Full joy is what we're offered. Full joy is what we strive for. It's what we, we fight for in communion with God. It's why Jesus gave himself for us, so that we would have full joy in communion with him. Right? It's, just, it's essential to our joy. Communion with God is essential to our joy because God did not abandon Jesus to the grave. It's essential to our joy because God exalted Jesus above every other person who's ever lived. Jesus is better than everyone. Jesus is better than all of us. He is our Lord. God has given him the title of Lord, and he said that, that every knee will bow to Jesus. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Right? Communion with God is essential to our, our joy then because eternity is real. It's, it's essential to our joy because there's, there's a multiplication of sorrows in chasing after other gods that will, it will multiply throughout eternity. There's fullness of joy, though, in the presence of Christ throughout eternity. Eternity is real. The judgment is real. Jesus is Lord. All will confess that he is Lord. So our communion with God, it's, it's with the one and only true God as, as God gives himself to us. And, and as we then give ourselves to him, it, it's not self-sufficient, right? But we are, we are truly, we're working out our salvation in a sense. It's, it's not that works righteousness, that's not what we're talking about, right? But, but God is working in us, and so we, we work. This is God's plan for us. It's why Jesus gave himself for us, 
so that we would be with him, so that we would be in his presence, so that we might have fullness of joy. That's, that's why we fight for communion with God. So by God's grace, let's, let's continue in that. By God's grace, let's encourage each other in that. By God's grace, let's continue to call and invite others into that fullness of joy for God's glory. Let me pray. Father, um, I praise you for uh, your love for Christ. It's a, it's a beautiful thing, and uh, we just thank you for how um, you have shown your love for us in sending your son for us and sending Jesus for us. Um, we praise you, Jesus, for how you have, have given yourself for us. You continue to give yourself for us in love. Um, I pray that we would be moved by your spirit to continue in the path of life, that we would continue to trust in Christ, that we would continue to, to grow in, in love as we see your great love. Um, pray for your word uh, to work in our hearts, um, that you would be glorified, that you would be praised. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio from Two Pillars Church. Feel free to share this audio with others, but please do not alter or edit the content in any way. For more information about Two Pillars Church, please visit www.twopillarschurch.com.